Well, God bless you, and it's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming again. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, verse 4. That's where we'll be, and we're going to show that on the video for you today too, so you don't have to worry. We're going to make it easy for you to follow along. Today's message is the second part of our three-part series that we call Your New Life. I'd like to talk to you today about growing in God's Word. It's one of the three important things you remember from last week that you need to learn as a believer. Last week we covered growing in prayer. Today we're talking about growing in God's Word. Then next week we're going to be finishing up this three-part series as we cover the third message, growing in fellowship. But today we're focused on growing in God's Word. If there was a book about detailed prophecies that always came true exactly like they were written, would you think of that book as special? Of course you would, especially if the words of that book were said to be from God. Since nobody knows about the future except for God, those fulfilled prophecies would prove that the messages of that book really did come from God Himself. Now that's important because that same book, which we call the Bible, also tells us how we can live forever in heaven at the end of our life on earth. And the Bible says that God created man in His own image. Now that means that He created us with an eternal spirit. He's eternal spirit. In other words, we were designed to live forever. So we could be with Him forever. He wanted us to be His children so He could take care of us through eternity and show us just how much He loves us. Now, He could have just programmed us to love Him and, you know, like we program computers to run apps and programs, but that wouldn't be real love, would it? We would just be doing what we had been programmed to do instead of actually feeling it in our hearts. So instead, He gave us free choice. And then He would see if we really did love Him and care for Him. And we would respond to His love when we saw it by loving Him in return. But we turned away from God. And without Him to guide us in our lives, we made plenty of the wrong choices. You know, when we do things that are wrong, or say things are wrong, or yes, even think things that are wrong, that's called sin. But God now is holy and pure, and sin separates us from Him. Sin can't stand in His presence, and the everlasting life that we were designed for is not available to us because sin ends in death instead. God knows that sin is like a disease that destroys everything it touches. He didn't want mankind to be destroyed, and so He made a way to remove our sins and to save us and bring us back to the everlasting life that we were designed for. 
This was His plan. God Himself would become a man and come to restore us and make a way for our sins to be paid for. He would take our sins upon Himself and He would give His life for us on the cross. He would die and be buried and in that grave for three days. But since He had no sin of His own, death couldn't hold Him. So He was raised from the dead. Now He has said that all who believe on what He did in the life of this promised Messiah that the Scripture had spoke of, and this Messiah whose name was Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew, all who believed on Him would be saved from the spiritual death that sin brings, and instead be given everlasting life in heaven. The greatest love, giving them complete mercy to those who desperately needed it. The greatest sacrifice, given so that the condemned might live. The greatest gift, everlasting life, given for the easiest act, simply believing that He did it. It's the greatest love story ever told. It's an amazing story. But He won't force you to take that gift. That decision is yours. God took your place because He loves you. All you have to do is acknowledge what He did and everlasting life is yours. All of these things I've been talking about now are in a book we call the Bible. We also call it the Word of God, God's Word, because it tells us about God and it brings His message to us. That's what our message today is talking about. It teaches you how to know God, how to experience His unconditional love for you, how to discover the things that are on His heart, and how to understand His ways, and how to walk with Him in life, how to mature in your new life. It all comes back to the Word of God, God's Word for us. Let's look now at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. In it, Jesus quotes a small verse taken from the Tanakh. The Tanakh, you know, the Old Testament as you would say it in English, is actually taken from the Torah part of the Tanakh. And it says, Jesus quotes this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now here's where that verse came from in the Tanakh, in the Torah. Be'evrit, uh, or in Hebrew, Hasefer Dvarim, Be'perek Shmoni Be'pasuk Shalosh. In other words, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. This is what it says, and what Jesus was quoting all the way from the New Testament, quoting back to the Torah in the Tanakh. And that's what the Tanakh stands for. It's really T. N and K. And the T in Tanakh stands for Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, the law, if you will. And then the N is the Hebrew word Nevi'im, and Nevi'im means prophets. So you have the Torah, you have the prophets, and then the K on Tanakh stands for the Chetuvim. Chetuvim is the writings or the books of wisdom, if you will. So in the book of Deuteronomy, he says in chapter 8, verse 3, God is speaking to Israel 
having them recall what he did with them. And he says in chapter 8, verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know about, nor did your fathers know about, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now the Bible, the Tanakh, and the New Testament together is a book like no other book. And yes, the Tanakh does say that there is a New Testament. You say, Pastor Stephen, I'm Jewish. You know that there's no New Testament spoken of in the Tanakh. Oh, yes, there is. In the book of Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, and actually I think it's Shloshim Veshalosh, or Shloshim, in your Bible, the Jewish Bible, it's one verse number different. But in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, here's what it says in the Jewish scriptures of the Tanakh in the prophet Jeremiah. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. But my covenant they broke then, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now think about that for a moment. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. A new covenant. Well, yeah, Stephen, but he didn't say New Testament. It's not that Christian New Testament. No, actually the word for testament and covenant are the same word. In English, covenant means exactly the same as testament. And testament means the same as covenant. And so we see in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31, God says He's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Now in Hebrew, we call the Christian New Testament Abrit HaChadashah. Abrit HaChadashah. Abrit HaChadashah. It means covenant the new. Covenant, the new. You put the adjective after the noun in Hebrew and other languages around the world do that too. But Brit Chadashah is what we call the New Testament, the Christian New Testament, Bivrit, or in Hebrew. Well, that's the word in Hebrew he used in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, verse 31, he says, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I am going to make Brit Chadashah with Israel. He's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And you say, well, Stephen, I mean, that, I know that Jeremiah is a prophet in the Tanakh. I know that Jeremiah is a book that belongs to the Jewish people and it's part of our Bible, but... We're not supposed to believe in a New Testament. Well, maybe you should stop listening to people tell you what to believe 
and start reading God's Word for yourself because it says it right there. The thing that they tell you doesn't exist. The thing that they tell you not to ever even say or use, not to ever read, is mentioned by God Himself when He says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a Brit Chadashah, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then He goes on to say, he goes on to say something else very amazing. And this is going to shock you. Because in the synagogues all around Israel and among the Jewish people throughout the world, they all read about and study the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses was given to them on Sinai by God as He was bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And that's the law that's written in the first five books of the Torah, or the Torah, the first five books of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, if you will, in English. So if it's written there in the Torah, and that's where the law is, and Jeremiah that's in the same book in the Tanakh, the Jewish Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, he says this covenant, this new one that I'm going to make with Israel, in chapter 30, verse 31 and on down, he says it's not going to be, listen, it's not going to be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Not only is it not going to be that covenant that I gave them then, when I led them out of the land of Egypt, the law that I gave to Moshe Hanavi, Moses the prophet, it's not going to be that one. It's not even going to be like that one, he says. It's going to be something entirely different. What he was saying is, it's not going to be based on works anymore. It's going to be based on His grace through faith, through believing in the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Basefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, Beperech Chameshesrei Vipasuk Shesh, in chapter 15, verse 6, it was said of Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father, it was said, and Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Didn't mention anything about any works that Abraham did. Interesting. It just said, and Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. My Jewish brother and sister, you know that I was born into a Jewish family. You know that many, many people with my last name, Apple, were killed in the Holocaust in Hashoah. I feel so much love for you. Don't turn this off just because it sounds strange to you. Through the years, my people have taken a slight turn this way, a little bit more later on, a little bit more, a little bit more, to where now we don't really understand what it truly means to be a Jew. 
what it truly means to be the chosen people. It means that God would choose this people, our people, Am Israel, Hachim Shali, Hachim Shali, my brothers, he would choose them and bring his Mashiach, the Messiah, from the nation of Israel. And because of that, God calls them my chosen people. And oh yes, he's going to do many other things through them in the future. And they're going to be wonderful things that God's going to do. Yes, there's been persecution. More persecution than any other people group. Why is that? They're one of the smallest nations. My brother and sister, it's because the enemies of God, now I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about Satan, are trying to destroy you. They can't defeat God. And yet they're angry with God for casting them out of heaven. And since they can't do anything against the almighty and all-powerful God, they turn their attention to those people whom God loves. That's you. That's me. And they try to hurt those people so that they'll hurt God in hurting His people. We missed it. We missed the Mashiach. But the good news is, is it's not too late. The Word of God even in the Tanakh, yes, in the Tanakh, talks about the new covenant that God is going to make with His people. And He didn't say with the Gentiles. He said with Am Israel. He said with Beit Israel and Beit Yodah. Beit Judah and Beit Israel. He's going to make that new covenant with them. This covenant, what I'm saying, is yes, it's gone into all the world. And yes, it's come all the way back to your shores. But the scripture right here in the Tanakh, in the book of Jeremiah the prophet, says, it's for you. It's not just for them. It's not just for everybody else. It's for you. Now, both Jewish and Christian believers believe in the Tanakh. In fact, Christians are very grateful to our Jewish brothers for preserving the writings of the Tanakh and keeping them safe throughout the Tanakh. It's amazing how careful they were in copying the Tanakh and the Torah and guarding it and keeping it safe. Christians believed on the one true God who made heaven and earth, the Jewish God. And through the Tanakh, Christians saw that God. And you were the one that presented that Tanakh to us. And then we studied that Tanakh. And it turns out we saw the verses about the Mashiach, the Anointed One. Now, understand something. Any time in the Bible that God anointed someone, He anointed them for a work that He was going to do in them. He anointed all the kings of Israel. He anointed David HaMelech, King David. And he anointed his son, Jesus the Messiah, for the work that he was going to do in being the blemish-free sacrifice to take away the sins of the world.
When we studied the Tanakh, which you gave us, we explored the prophecies and the work that this wonderful Mashiach who was coming, this thing that he would do, this amazing work that he would do, we explored it. And we came to the conclusion that he fulfilled the prophecies that he was supposed to fulfill at that time for the Mashiach to come. But understand something. The Mashiach was spoken of in Jewish scholar circles as being two Mashiachs, two Messiahs. One was Mashiach ben Yosef. Another was Mashiach ben David. Why were there two? Well, think about this. Mashiach ben Yosef, that's just Hebrew. It means Messiah, the son of Joseph. What happened to Joseph? His brothers sold him into slavery. He was put into jail. He was mistreated. He was accused of lies and everything. But eventually, God brought him out of the jail in Egypt and used him to save all of Israel, his father's entire descendants at that time. Remember? I know you do. These things are not hidden from you. Joseph was a suffering person. But yet through his suffering, God saved Israel. Now, in the suffering servant, Mashiach ben Yosef, and Mashiach ben David, the ruling reigning king Messiah, the son of David, those are not two people. Here's the thing, listen closely. They are one person who died once, but death could not hold him because he always kept the law himself. And even though he took the sins of mankind upon himself, he had no sins of his own, so death could not hold him, so he was raised from the dead. And since he was raised from the dead after he became the atonement for the sins of mankind, and Am Israel as well, the nation of Israel as well, after he did this and was raised from the dead, now he can come again as Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the son of David, the ruling, reigning King Messiah. Our sages in Jewish history thought the Bible, the Tanakh was talking about two Messiahs, Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering servant Messiah, and Mashiach ben David, the ruling, reigning King Messiah. They didn't know that the Messiah would be God himself who became a man because no other man qualified to be the atonement because they had all failed at keeping the law. But when God became a man, this man's name was Yeshua, he kept the law at all time. All 613 commands he kept so that he would qualify so that he would qualify to die for you and I. And having qualified to die for us, he went through with it. He offered his body up of his own free will. No one killed him and destroyed his mission. No one cut his mission short. Oh no, he fulfilled his mission gloriously. All that the scripture had said that he would do in the Tanakh. 
In the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Veperik Chamishim Veshalosh, in the chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah the prophet, spoke about how he would give his life for the sins of my people, he said, Isaiah speaking. For the sins of my people, to whom the punishment was due, the Messiah gave his life, and because of him, now we can be righteous. It's just like Pesach. It's just like Passover, isn't it? It's just like Passover because there was a blemish-free lamb. And God said, put the blood of the blemish-free lamb, a la mezuzot babite, on the doorpost of the house. And when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over that house in judgment. You see, it's not just about telling the Passover story every year. It's about remembering that God passed over the people when he saw the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God. And now God has sent his only Son and has become a man that he might take away the sins of mankind. And having not ever violated any of the laws, he qualified where no one else, no other man who ever lived qualified because we all had sin. Now the Jewish people the religious people, that is, accept the Jewish Talmud. That's a writing of their religious Judaism. Some call it the oral law. And the two reasons they say the oral law is needed is it says, well, the Torah told us to sacrifice animals, but it didn't tell us exactly how to kill them. Well, first of all, that's not true. God did say don't strangle them. That was part of the law. You know, and he just said, I want you to kill this lamb, then I want you to cut it up in the way that I'm showing you and put it on the altar and burn it with fire and none is to be left and the fat goes here and the rest of it goes here. He told us great details about how to do this. But he didn't tell us how to kill the animal. Could it be that he really didn't care how we were to kill the animal? Come on. As long as we weren't torturing it. But why are you saying that no, he didn't give us instructions on exactly what to do, how to kill the animal, so we made up our own. That's what you're saying. Think about it. The second reason they say the oral law is needed is that they say, well, Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. That's way too long just to receive the Ten Commandments and the written Torah. So God must have given him other stuff up there. Oh, come on. Anyone can make up a scenario like that. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and, and there was more time than God needed to give him. Well, how about this? What if God gave him something and then waited a while and then gave him some more? Or what if God made him there wait before the Lord for several days before he even gave him anything? Why does it have to be that you're making up some story so that you could put your own thoughts and your own things as equal to the Word of God. And that's what they're saying now. Some of the rabbis, some of the religious people are saying, no, the oral law is just equal to the written Word of God. Oh no, it's not. And in fact, God has even said in a place in the Tanakh, in Isaiah 29, 13, he forbids what you have done 
to his Tanakh. He said, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules that they've been taught. The book of Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 13. There it is right there. Things that are happening right now that have happened for centuries before this are being talked about in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before the coming of the Messiah. Don't make up your own stuff to put in God's Word. God's Word is God's Word. Don't add to it. There's a curse associated with anyone who adds to the Word of God or anyone who takes away from the Word of God. Don't go there. It's God's Word. We see in the Tanakh that God doesn't like it when man teaches his own rules and instruction instead of God's rules and instructions. And that's a great thing about God's written Word. It teaches us what His truth is. And it warns us about other people's false teaching. You see, that's another wonderful thing about the Word of God. It not only tells us how to know God, but it gives us all kinds of warnings that are good for us. They keep us from death. They keep us from hurting ourselves. They keep us from eating the wrong things. All of these things. It's a wonderful thing about the Bible, these warning signs. Sometimes people see the warning signs and they misunderstand what it really is about. It's about the love of God. It's not trying to make you righteous by doing all of these things. It's about God caring for you. I heard the story about a man who was driving down the street on the way home after work one day. And he saw one of those big yellow signs off to the side of the street. You've seen it before. And the sign says, watch for children. But as the man passed by it, he thought, that sounds like a good trade. He looked at his watch. You know, yeah, I could use a new watch. I'll just trade my children for a watch. Watch for children. People understand sometimes and they misunderstand sometimes. But seriously, though. There's all kinds of warnings in the Scripture, and there's vital information in the Bible. First of all, think about it. It tells us about God. From the beginning of time, people have wondered about God. They see the incredible universe above them. They see the amazing artistic variety of life all around them on the earth, in the air, in the seas, and all these things. They discover the intricate complexities of the human body the cells, the molecules, the medicines, the way the body is assembled and assimilates all these things. And they realize that mere chance could have never given rise to such a complex, sophisticated design. So they wonder about why they're here and who created them and why. Then the Word of God tells us what God is like. People wonder, is He an angry God? It tells us the things that his heart thinks on. It tells us about his love so we can know what he really is like and not what we fear. 
He's not some big guy in the sky waiting to step on you like a bug and smash you out the first time you do something wrong. No, He loves you so much, He became a man, took those sins of yours on Himself that you might be His and that you might be forgiven and able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because with sins, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. God is perfect. He's righteous and holy. You can't stand before Him. You may think you're a pretty good person, but you'd never make it there. His righteousness would leap out on your sin, destroy that sin, but the sin is so much a part of you, it would destroy you too. And that's the problem. God loves you. He hates the sin, but He loves you. The Bible tells us about His love, and we understand His heart, and then we're greatly relieved to learn that God the Creator of all things, our Creator, loves us. He's unlimited in power. The love He feels for His special creation, mankind, it tells us God is a, a God of love and compassion. Now, the Word also gives us instructions for life to keep us from danger, to guard our hearts, the way to live together with other people in peace and harmony, how to care for the less fortunate among us in charity. It tells us of the importance of loving others and showing mercy to others. It teaches us to turn the other cheek and to disarm others with love. It teaches us how to treat other people the same way that we would want them to treat us, the golden rule. And most importantly, the Word teaches us how we can know God. It teaches us about our need for Him and that we were designed and created to live forever. It teaches us that we have a spirit inside. And that is the true person that we really are inside. That's the essence of our existence. The body's going to grow old, but the spirit was designed to live forever. It's just like you drive around in an automobile or a, or a taxi or something. You get out of that vehicle and you're still there. In the same way, one of these days, we're going to get out of this body, this vehicle, and the real us, the spirit inside, is going to return to God. So it's important what you do in this life about the arrangement that you make for heaven. And there's only one arrangement that will allow you to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that's to believe on this important Messiah that He sent, that all who believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Word of God teaches us why there's problems and trials in life from time to time. And it shows us why we have hopelessness and despair and pain and suffering sometimes. It also shows us how to fix those things and how to be at peace and full of hope because of God's love in our life. Then the Word of God teaches us, teaches us about our own shortcomings, our sins. And it teaches us that we cannot go to heaven because of those sins. But then it also teaches us about God's forgiveness for our sins and His plan to remove all those sins like I've been describing. That if we believe on His Son, Jesus the Messiah, our sins are forgiven and we can be allowed into heaven then. The Word of God teaches us how much God cares about us. That's what I'm saying. And how He gave His one and only Son as an atonement for our sins according to Jewish law. 
so that all who believe on Him could be forgiven and allowed to be in heaven. Finally, the Word of God gives us many great and wonderful promises that are ours. And it gives us hope and joy and peace. Even in the current physical life, it teaches us that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, will soon come to take us to be with Him in the beautiful kingdom of heaven. So you can see some of the reasons why the Word of God is so vital to your life. It takes the despair and hopelessness away. It gives you peace. It gives you joy. It gives you hope. And it's the gateway to everlasting life. It's your map and your compass in life, teaching your heart what's right and what's wrong. It's your teacher in life, instructing you how to love others, how to forgive others, and how to win others by always showing them unconditional love, God's kind of love. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17 in the New Testament, He said this while praying to the Father. He said, Father, Your Word is truth. That's right. The Word of God is true. Now how do we know that we're supposed to respect all these things in the Bible? Remember we talked about it. Prophecy. No one knows the future except for God. And all these fulfilled prophecies, fulfilled in great detail, hundreds of years, sometimes, uh, sometimes dozens of years, sometimes days before they actually came to pass, sometimes even thousands of years before they came to pass. All of these prophecies show that this message in this Bible, this Word of God, was from God Himself. Because, think about it, nobody knows the future perfectly except for God. And these prophecies were very detailed. Sometimes even calling a person by his name 150 years before the person was ever even born. And yet God did it. And because of that, Cyrus the king did not destroy Jerusalem, but instead spared it because he saw where his own name had been written in the Jewish Tanakh 150 years before he was even born. It impressed the king of the world, Cyrus at that time, so much about the prophecies in the word of God that he spared Jerusalem. All these prophecies and fulfilled prophecies show that this message in this book is indeed from God himself. Everything in God's word is truth. When the Holy Spirit is within you, he will bring these things from God's Word into your heart, cause you to remember the scriptures that you need as you go through life. When you rely on the Word of God and you start growing in the Word and learning from the Word daily, just like you pray daily, you start feeling a hunger to learn more about God in His Word. There's an answer for every need that you have in the Bible. And it's wonderful to see how the Holy Spirit brings things from the Bible to your mind just when you need that wisdom, just in time. And as you study God's Word, the Holy Spirit will also show you other places in the Scripture that speak about the same topic as another verse. And so you'll know how to interpret that verse when you read it. Because if other verses in the same Word of God talk about that topic and don't disagree with your interpretation, then your interpretation of what you read is correct. 
But if the same verse is somewhere else in the scripture in a different context and talks about that same topic and goes against your interpretation, you could know that you need to go back to the drawing board and try again to find another interpretation for the verse that you've been reading until they all go together. God designed it that way to be a foolproof, error-proof message system. In engineering, we would say it had full-blown error correction and parity checking. And error correction means that once an error is determined, it can fix itself. Well, there's no errors in the Word of God, but there can be errors in your interpretation. And God's made it to where you have other verses in the Scripture to help you fix your interpretation until it matches what God really intended. God will show you the wonderful way in all of these things and how they work together. But be patient. Just like you didn't learn how to walk and talk one day after you were born, you'll also need time to learn how to walk and talk in your new life in the Messiah. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. If you'll start studying God's Word and taking it into your life, you'll begin growing in your new life. You'll receive wisdom from God that you didn't have before. People around you will see the difference in you, in your wisdom, in your joy, in your peace that you have. Just like your body needs physical food daily to live and to grow, so your spirit needs spiritual food daily to live and to grow, to mature in the things of God. Don't neglect prayer. And don't neglect the Word of God. Remember the little seed that's planted needs both water and sunshine to grow. In the same way, your spirit needs both prayer and God's Word to grow in the spirit and to be healthy spiritually. Make God's Word a part of each day. You're going to see amazing things happening in your life. And you're going to have a deep peace that the world can never take away. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that endures even as the storms of life swirl around you. If you put God first and believe on His Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, and you believe on Him as Lord, He will reveal Himself to you. And deep in your heart, you'll sense God's presence watching over you and guiding you in life. Your life will become completely new. God's love and presence will guard you and keep you wherever you go and you'll be His child, greatly loved by your Heavenly Father. I guess what I'm asking is, does anyone here want to live forever? Anyone here want to live forever? Just say, I do. When you believe on the Son of God, you are able to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. The book of Mark in chapter 13 in the New Testament Verse 31, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. You know why I said that? Because that was God Himself saying, The words of my mouth will not pass away. Just like the Tanakh, the new covenant that He mentioned, will be together and one. The Word of God will not pass away. You can always trust the Word of God. It will prove to be right every time. 
It'll endure and stand the test of time. It never gets old. And His truth is perfect. Its truth never changes. Isaiah 40 verse 8, I love this verse. It says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You can trust God's word. You can see how important it is for God's word to be in your daily life. It reveals the creator of the universe to you. It tells you what he's like. It shows you how much he cares for you, how much he desires to do wonderful things in your life. The Word shows you the incredible, unconditional love He has for you, even to the point of taking all your sins unto Himself, that you could be free of sin and able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Word gives you His promises that He will always be with you, even in this life, that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And God's Word promises you that He will bring you safely into His kingdom, where you will have everlasting life, surrounded by amazing blessings and things you cannot even imagine now. All this and more is contained in the Word of God. So now you understand why it's so important to learn about God in His Word, to learn about the promises that are yours, and to learn about your new life. Get alone with God and start exploring the Bible. One way you can keep the right balance between the Tanakh and the New Testament is to use what's known as the one-year Bible. In this Bible, each day of the year has a reading from the Tanakh, then from the Tehillim, or the books of Psalms, and then a verse from the Book of Wisdom called Proverbs, and finally a short reading from the New Testament also. It usually takes about 15 to 20 minutes to read through the entire selection for the day. And then you're ready to go for the day. You've fed your spirit. I like to get a nice hot cup of coffee and to sit somewhere where I can look out a window and relax and go through the readings. The amazing thing is that when you spend time each day discovering the things in God's Word, somehow your life just seems to go better. You have a joy inside that you didn't have before. Those things that used to get you upset don't bother you anymore. Those people that you couldn't stand before seem a little more tolerable now, and maybe you're even understanding why they're that way. Your entire outlook on life is greatly improved. Remember the words in the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, the secret place, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Go to the secret place. It's not a place where you bring your friends. It's not a place where you bring your television. It's a secret place where you abide under the shadow of the Almighty and you commune with God. It's your time alone with Him to pray, to seek Him in His Word. Go to that secret place. Get alone with your Heavenly Father. He hears each child of His as they speak with Him. And He loves you and He'll show you amazing things in your life. Amen. 
Why don't you give your life to Him today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from that darkness and He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person and throw all that history, that bad history away. You'll be completely new and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can say, God, I want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life. A seed's been planted. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to God in prayer every day. He's going to do amazing things in your life.